Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio with me, Joe Moffat. Uh, today is radio show number 519 and today's topic is helping organisations create a team of productive employees. And for those of you who um, are new to Engage for Success, a little bit about us. We are a not-for-profit movement and we are the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. Visit us at engageforsuccess.org where you can learn more and also sign up for our weekly newsletter. And as with everyone who's involved in Engage for Success, we are all volunteers um, and I am a, a volunteer. I'm Joe Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts, but we all have day jobs. And mine is that I'm managing director and founder of Woodread. Uh, Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques and the insight led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high performing cultures of engaged employees. And to help us explore today's topic of helping organisations create a team of productive employees, this week's special guest, who I'm very pleased to welcome to the show, is Gerald Leonard. Um, and Gerald is founder of the Leonard Productivity Intelligence Institute, and he offers a unique productivity approach to accomplishing more every day. Well, I think we could all do with, with learning a little bit more about that. He's got a, a, a an excellent biography of um, experience and qualifications, which you, could, which you can read about on the show page. There's an awful lot of what he does that intrigues me, which we're going to be exploring in a little bit more detail in, in a moment. But um, essentially, uh, Gerald is going to be talking about productivity. And uh, but before we get on to that, a little bit about you, Gerald, tell our, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. So better to come from the horse's mouth rather than me. Sure, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, just just having our conversation reminds me of the time my wife and I took a trip over to London and we had a blast. I stayed near the towers and uh, it was so much fun. It was probably like the best place I've ever been in my life to go on vacation. I love the the, the black cabbies too because they are really knowledgeable, extremely <laughs> knowledgeable. Uh, so about me, uh, again, my name is Gerald Leonard, and I started off as a musician. Yes, fact, I noticed that. If you were looking that. at a screen with me right now, you'd see a red guitar behind my behind my back. That red guitar was my sister's at one time. When I was 10 years old, I stole it from her <laughs> and, and I started playing and I fell in love with music. Uh -huh. And, you know, music has taught me so much that I've used throughout my entire career. And it's taught me the idea of practicing and learning, uh, getting feedback and listening and how to play with others and have goals and also the importance of mentoring and coaching. Um, and so all of these things I've kind of applied. And so I did go to uh, uh, college and uh, study music and did my master's in it. I did a little bit of work after my master's um, working in New York. I did some ministry work for a little bit. And then I, you know, was playing professionally in New York. And but I decided I really didn't want to go on the road and be as a jazz musician. And I had done some classical work as well. And so I got into IT. 
And I got into IT around the time where if you could spell IT, they would let you in. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And so um, I, you know, I, when I picked up the computer, I looked at it as an instrument, right? Because when you look at it as an instrument, you and you go, okay, do I understand the basics? Can I play this thing? Can I? Do I understand how it works? Do I need a teacher? You know, all those things. And so I got really good at using the computer and got into project management. And I was playing music and doing this at the same time. So fast forward 25 plus years, I have been a professional musician and a business consultant doing project management, portfolio management for major corporations and federal government agencies. And I saw a link between music and business. And I saw a link between how teams of musicians come together. And when we play together, there's this muse, there's this, there's this spiritual thing that happens where we really combine and bond, no matter our backgrounds, our culture, our language, it, it allows us to bond together and we lean in and we listen to each other. And I noticed that on really good business teams, people were a lot more like musicians. They were really skilled at their craft. But then when they came to the to the to the project, they would focus on the bigger picture and then subjugate their skills to what was best to, to be uh, for the performance of the project. And they would lean in, they would listen to each other, they'd be open for feedback. And it was a lot like playing jazz. And so that led me to writing my first book. Uh, culture is the base and in workplace jazz. And then my latest one, uh, a symphony of choices. And you can think of a symphony of choices as Ted Lasso for project management. Right. Do you know, that was, that was the, the, the bit that really intrigued me in your bio. I mean, you, you, which is why I sort of, I, I skimmed over your bio because I didn't want to reveal that the, the what you were just saying about these books because that was the bit that jumped out from, from everything that you've done and all, all the work that you've, you've, the experience you've had I was really intrigued by these books you've written and the titles of them so yeah symphony of choices um culture is the base and, and workplace jazz and as you say you're a musician too so clearly that's informed your your thinking but I'd, yes. I'd love to so these are you're seeing these kind of as metaphors for for the workplace aren't you exactly and, and highly highly high performing teams um so Let's go into that. Let's explore that a little bit more. How, what, what, what has this all got to do with productivity? What, sure, what, how sure. do we recreate that if we're not if we're not skilled on the base like you? Right, right, right. So uh, think about it this way: if you've gone to a concert, if you've turned on the radio, if you've watched musicians on television perform, you can glean enough of what's going on to begin to understand the connection between what I'm writing about in those books and how to apply it. So if you go to a concert and all of us have gone to some concert, even as kids, you know, we've played in concerts as children. We've gone to concerts at church uh, or different organizations. And you notice that the musicians have these instruments, whether it's a classical bass, a violin, a viola, uh, piccolo or whatever. And, they're really good at that instrument, which meant that they had to spend a lot of time practicing. Mm -hmm. They had to spend a lot of time learning the ins and outs of that instrument. And so how do you translate that into business? Well, what I found is that strong professionals spend a lot of time on their craft 
And they don't just learn it enough to get a job. They embody it. They embrace it. They learn the ins and outs of it so that they're very comfortable, whether whether they're writers or whether they're coders or whether they're a business analyst, they, they really understand the nuances of their skill. And it's kind of like a musician. But when you come together as musicians and you're in that concert and there's a conductor, so there's a leader who also understands the music, but he doesn't micromanage the musicians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He trusts that they will bring their best skills and best selves to the table and really good managers and leaders of organizations are much more like conductors than micromanagers. They create the the big vision and then they leave it up to the musicians to, as they're interpreting uh, and working out the details to kind of figure out those parts of it. But they're there to help coordinate the musicians, to get them to listen to each other and kind of um, motivate them and move them along. And then when they come together, they have to really lean in and listen. And when you're listening as a musician, you're listening from the standpoint of you want to understand what's the tempo. What's the pitch? What's the tone? What are the nuances? How, you know, is it a slow song? Is it a fast song? Is it emotional? Is it staccato? So you start learning to listen to the nuances. And what I found, again, is that professionals who are really good at their craft and are really good consultants are business who are in services, right? You know, doctors and lawyers and uh, accountants, but anyone who's really good at their service, they will be really good at listening, active listening. Mm-hmm. Like they will, they will make sure that you know. It's like going to a waiter. It's like going to a restaurant and you have a really good waiter. He's going to take your order, but he's going to repeat it back to you. He or she will repeat it back to you, and make you feel very comfortable that he understands what you want. Yeah. And that's really important in the listening part. So all of these components that we begin to naturally do as children who become musicians over time are things that uh, professionals can apply themselves. And again, these are things that you don't have to be a musician to understand and apply them. You just kind of have to study and pay attention to a good concert and watch them play together you know, watch the music change and they never look at each other. Mm -hmm. Watch when the phrases change or the music stops and it starts again and they never look at, it's like a feel, they know each other because they've been applying that. And so in my books, like when I wrote the first one, Culture is the Base. Yeah, now I'm intrigued by that. So so with that one, I, I really fell in love with that book when I was studying it. And at first it was actually a presentation that I gave. Mm-hmm. And I got such a good response from the presentation because I had spent a lot of time studying culture and studying, um, you know, anytime you do project management work, you're, you're, you're delivering a project or you're helping a company with its work, you're changing the culture of that company, mm-hmm. even if it's a little bit. Because when you do a new project, whether it's new software, a new process or new procedure, you're adjusting how people get things done, which is going to change who's in charge, who reports to whom, and so on and so forth. But you're also uh, changing the culture, which means you need to understand the current culture and understand what the changes are and make sure that people buy into that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I, I, I discovered 
as I was researching and I looked at, I, I love peer reviewed material. So I'll go to like Harvard business cases. I'll go to uh, uh, cases from the National Institute of Health, MIT, the Wharton School, where there's peer reviewed content by other scholars. So I know that what I'm studying and reading is really valid. Mm-hmm. And as I looked at the seven things that I kind of identified, which is vision, values, buy-in, stories, the best practices, the environment, and then the excellence and execution that kind of makes up my framework for that book, I thought about what are some of the stories around culture, and it came down to a feel, to a vibe, to an emotion. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, um, my wife were, were uh, over in London and we went to Harold's. Now, we didn't buy a whole lot from Harold's because Harold's is a very expensive store. But there was a vibe. There was an emotion. Mm-hmm. There was an experience that you that you got that you, you wouldn't get from any other store when you kind of walk through Harold. And so that was their culture. If you go to, I'm thinking Amazon or one of the other stores, even if it's a, a, click, and, uh, a click and order store, there's still a vibe. Mm-hmm. And so, well, what's a great example of a vibe? A baseline. Mm-hmm. Think of your, think of any Beatles song. Think of any um, um, Paul McCartney or or, or um, um, Lennon or or just just uh, YouTube or uh, just any uh, band. Yeah. And think of some of their songs. Some of the times, what you'll hear in the beginning is the drummer will start or the bass player will start or they'll start together. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you hear that 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 song start and you're just hearing the bass and the drums you know the culture of the music you know is it pop is it classical is it hard rock is it country is it folk music is it uh irish music you know the music because of the style of the bass and the feel of the music and it holds it that holds it and keeps it on track and yes yeah Exactly, exactly. And so culture to me is much more of an emotional feel, although you have these these attributes that mm-hmm. apply to building a great culture. And so I talk a lot about the, the musical part of that, the emotional, and then I go into the details of that within the book. Um, and then I wrote that book. That was like my first book. After writing that book, I ended up getting a literary agent. Right. And then I then I wrote the second book, which is called Workplace Jazz. And a lot of work today around with Workplace Jazz, a lot of work today in businesses are done in what's called small agile teams, like the word, mm-hmm. you know, businesses being agile or the mm-hmm. word agility or innovation is really big now. So I want to ask you, I want to interrupt, sorry to interrupt you, but, but sure. I, I'm thinking in my mind, jazz you know, there's there's different there's quite a different kinds of jazz, aren't there? But you know, improvisational jazz, yes. sort of free jazz. I'm guessing is the sort of thing you're talking about. People need yes, to have I, yes. that skill, and they need to know their craft sufficient that they can fly off in a different direction from the original because they're they're grounded in something. Exactly. And so here's the thing about jazz. Most people think when they hear jazz and they hear the musician kind of go off and do a lot of playing and they're kind of freewheeling, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, when they're playing, jazz is very structured and there's a language to it. And so when they're, when you hear the melody of the jazz song, mm-hmm. it's very structured and everyone knows what they're doing. And it's either 12 bars or 24 bars or 36 bars of the melody and the verse and chorus and so on. Mm-hmm. And then one of the musicians steps forward and they take a solo. Mm-hmm. 
And that solo is their interpretation of the melody based on what's happening in the moment. Right. Based on the feel of the crowd, based on the feel of the musicians, based on what their day was like, based on what they've been learning. And so they then will take the same structure of that song and the chord progression, and they will play around it, including the melody, but then they will interpret it. The only way you can do that is, one, you need to know your instrument really, really well. You also need to know musical theory, chord structure, what chords go with which ones, what melody goes with which ones. It's basically like learning to speak a language. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to learn to speak a language is to imitate experts. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do as children. Yeah. Right. That's we grow we up it. and right. It's like, you know, you're you're an infant and you you start growing and you learn to say mama, dada. And then next, you know, you learn to say auntie and uncle. And, and pretty soon you have whole sentences and then you start learning the theory of things. Mm. But you learn to speak the language. So jazz is actually a language. And so you have to study the masters. And then once you understand how they structured, how they play it and their language, then you can kind of play around with that. But it's a very structured language. Mm -hmm. And so jazz musicians really have to know their instruments. They have to also, when you're playing jazz, you have to have a positive attitude with, with the other people on your team. Because imagine, you know, being in an, a, at a concert and they're supposed to be this quartet or, or group supposed to be working together, but they have attitudes or they, are, they don't like each other. You're going to hear it in the music. And so in the same way, if we're in business and there's attitudes or there's challenges, we'll hear it in the project. We'll see it in the outcome. Uh, we won't get the best work from people. Hmm. The other thing that I, I thought was really fascinating as I wrote the book, because I did a lot in that book, I did a lot of neuroscience. Uh -huh. I wrote a lot about the neuroscience of not just jazz, but the neuroscience of the attributes, mm -hmm. you know, the attribute of deliberate practice, the attribute of positivity, mm -hmm. the attribute of being open to feedback, the attribute of uh, visualization and looking at scientifically, how do all these things play and how do they apply to agile teams and high performing teams and what can agile high performing teams learn? from these skills, as well as telling stories about some jazz musicians that I've, I've met and I've, I've played with or that I've kind of researched and studied and, and shared their stories as well. So it's full of musical examples. There's some links in there that you can go and look at videos of the musicians, but then it has the neuroscience and then the practical aspects of how do you apply this to mm -hmm. your to your life so that you can really see how to build that, that team of right. high performers. Right, right. Okay. And then that takes me to the Symphony of Choices. So I'll stop and see if you have any questions. Yeah, no, no. I, so, so the, the culture is the base was the first one. Then you then you wrote workplace jazz, and the most recent is the Symphony of Choices. So let's let's talk about that briefly, um, and then I, I'd like to try and try and bring it together with some of the kind of key things from the, each of those books or from across sure. the suite of those books, in terms of practical some practical pointers that, that yes. maybe our listeners can can then take from that because I think I love the metaphor that you're you're sharing and you're sharing it with great passion and enthusiasm and and rightly so um and it and you know it's it's um it's an interesting thing because music is really quite an emotional thing isn't it it gets it is it, and that's the power of it that's why we use it in advertising of course it's why we why right. films have great scores you know it it, it takes us 
takes people to places. Um, exactly. So using this analogy, I think, is is really quite interesting. So, yeah, let's tell us a little about the Symphony of Choices and then let's try and wrap it all up. Sure, sure. So a Symphony of Choices, very quickly, is a business novel. And it's based on a lot of the mentoring uh, discussion in the book because it's all about the mentorship of a musician who becomes the orchestra manager. And he has to, you know, go from playing the bass in the orchestra to playing to to actually con- uh, controlling and managing all the different aspects of the orchestra as a business, working with the board, working with the conductor, working with the musicians, um, redoing their payroll systems and all the other details. And I thought, well, what's a fascinating way to tell that story? And it's also based on a course I wrote um, around what's called project portfolio management, but it covers decision-making, project management, and workplace engagement. And so I wanted to make it really engaging and interesting. And so um, I love the book by Elliot Golrad called The Goal. And it's a it's an amazing business book. And he teaches this principle called the theory of constraints, mm-hmm. right? Which is based on physics, but he uses a business novel story to teach you these principles and you really get it. You really understand the principle when you're done. And so as I was putting it together, I hired a, a coach and who's a really good fiction writer. Cause I'm more of a nonfiction writer. So I needed someone who was a really good fiction writer. So we worked together on it and we binge watched Ted Lasso. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I got it. Now we have to add some really juicy character stuff. <laughs> Sorry. And, um, and we were able to do that. And so Ted, so the book actually becomes more of like the Ted Lasso for project management and workplace <laughs> engagement. So okay. it has, you know, he has challenges with his family. He has challenges with some of the people at work. He has his own quirks that he has to work through. And each chapter is full of lessons. And at the end of each chapter, I talk about the, I share the tips that he got from the mentoring sessions, because as he's sitting there saying, okay, now I have this job. I need some help. And so he reaches out to an old professor who taught him these principles in college. And so now he's reteaching him over coffee on a weekly basis as he's applying these to his life. And so he takes the lessons and he goes and applies them, but he also see insights into all the challenges he's going through, all the challenges he's going through with learning the, the, the skills and things that he's having to do, family challenges as well. But it really gets, it's it's entertaining, it's engaging, but you really walk away kind of sitting there, following along and digesting all the lessons that he's mm-hmm. being taught in the mentorship. Mm, interesting. I was thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about that, and going back donkey's years now, the uh, the Glenn Miller story, you know? You yes. know? Yes. And how, how he... he he could have done with some of that, couldn't he, in the early years? Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. Okay. So, um, and that so that one is is more has got a lot of practical elements in it. But let's yeah, just... all of them have very practical elements in, in them. But that one is more. The other ones are more it's more nonfiction. Yes. That one's like a fictional story. But, but, it's, but it has all the other stuff outs. in there from the mentorship. So you you do get the business lessons from it. And I have it, I have sections at the end where I really point out all the business things that you need to learn and all the skills that you need to learn and walk away with. Mm-hmm. But I wanted it to be intriguing and I want it to be kind of keep you on the edge of your seat as you're reading it. 
Excellent. Okay, so let's let's try. We've got just over five minutes left, Gerald. Sure. Let's just try and tie some of the key themes together from from those books and your your general experience in terms of our listeners and perhaps right. some of the some of the things they ought to take on board. Um, yeah. So so some of the things that that happen in the books and in my life that I've used to apply the books was one is really learning that you know mentoring and coaching now in the u.s we have something called hov lanes or express lanes Mm -hmm. when you're on the highway Uh right so if you're driving around chicago new york one of these really busy cities you can get stuck in traffic trying to get home for two hours Mm. and without the traffic it's like a 15 20 minute ride with traffic it can be a two-hour ride but if you're in the hov lane high occupancy lane or express lane you have to have someone with you Uh, okay Right, so I look at I look at the coaching and mentoring concepts that I teach as the HOV lanes for your life and your career. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So basically, yeah. if you have someone with you who's above you, who's who's gone and before you and done the things that you're trying to do, and you whether you hire them or they you work out a bartering system with them, but you have someone with you that you're working with, it's like being in that fast pass lane. Mm-hmm. where instead of struggling to get to where you are, you put the car on cruise control, you put some music on, you have a great conversation and you get home within 20 minutes. You get to where you're going much, much faster than if you were just by yourself stuck yep. in traffic, trying to figure it out by yourself. Yep. Makes so that's sense. one practical lesson. The other thing, what I've learned um, and with productivity that I teach in the books and I teach on my own podcast, Productivity Smarts, is the idea of holistic learning and also holistic living. Um, you know, I in 2018, I'll be real quick with this story. I had a major bout with vertigo. It wiped out what's called my vestibular system. I lost the ability to walk. Mm-hmm. It happened six weeks before my TEDx talk. Oh, God. And I use music the muse of music, which is more like a spiritual component of music Mm -hmm. to play my bass every day that it rewired my brain within three weeks. I walked into my doctor's office and three weeks after that, I walked on stage and delivered my TEDx talk and it's on the TED platform now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned from that was that I needed to spend more time meditating, more time taking care of myself, not just kind of burning the candle at both ends or dealing with other people's issues or challenges. And so the idea of being productive, I have become much more productive now by actually doing less, by taking time in the morning to hand write out my goals every day and meditate on that, to spend time doing yoga every day and uh, removing the stress from my body so that I can be open to hearing that intuitive voice of where am I going now with this goal or what's the right next move. And by writing out my goals, I'm actually actually programming my reticular activating system of my brain to filter and focus on the things that I want to bring into my life. So I then find people who will want to interview me or find uh, the resources of of things that that allow me to really make a difference for that particular goal. And then I learned something about what's called the Pomodoro technique. And the Pomodoro technique is where you work in sprints. So you have your goals. Let's say you take one of your goals and say, okay, I have two sessions I'm going to do. And each Pomodoro session is around 25 minutes. 
25 minutes of a session and you set a timer, you close your email, you, whatever you, you, you don't need, you know, social media, whatever. And you just go heads down and you focus for 25 minutes on that one thing. Mm-hmm. You get into flow mm-hmm. and you, the, the timer goes off, you stop, you stretch, go do something else. Go make a cup of coffee, go take a bio break, go do some laundry, go take a walk, go check your mail for five, 10 minutes. Then you come back, you set the timer again for another 25 minutes to do another Pomodoro and you focused and you will find that you will get more done in your schedule by having those dedicated short sprints of time. And you will be more energized because when you take that break, your non-conscious mind is downloading everything you've been doing. And it's freeing up your conscious mind so that you come back to what you're doing much more refreshed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so my books and you know the things that I teach are full of those kind of attributes and kind of tips and tricks and kind of strategies. It's not really tricks; they're really no, strategies, strategies to yeah. really to really help you because it's something I've had to do for myself. Mm-hmm. And by doing this, it has radically changed my life. Brought some amazing people into my life. And open the door where I went from publishing my first book as a self-published to having Business Expert Press publish my second book to having John Wiley and Sons publish my third book. And it's an you know it's the hardcover, it's the ebook, and it's also an audio book. Fabulous. And that wouldn't it's, have happened without have happened those without. without following that that, that no. path. Now I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of of knowing allowing your subconscious to work on stuff when you're when you're not yes. consciously thinking about it and um it, it you know it really is really important and this this focus is is key isn't it because we're so easily distracted we're so you know once upon a time everyone said you know the, the holy grail was to be able to multitask well yeah but <laughs> not not really actually it's about focus isn't it and it really um, is. that that's really key and we have got to focus to come to the right to the very end of our show we've run out of time Gerald I'm so sorry I could have listened to you all day it's been really fascinating um, Excellent. so thank you very much uh, Gerald Leonard founder of the Leonard Productivity Intelligence Institute for joining us thank you for listening and don't forget you can la- download or stream any of the great shows from our Engage for Success archive at any time just visit engageforsuccess.org uh, so thank you and goodbye Engage for Success Radio Raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.